Green Street Joinery and the American Craftsman Podcast are proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist in Montana, USA. With numerous patents dating back to the invention of the Hexshank system by our founders, we strive to produce accessories that add precision, flexibility, and efficiency to your toolkit. In addition to woodworking tools, we produce many high-quality cutting tools that are used by the aerospace, medical, automotive, and industrial markets. Our end product has a fit and finish that is beyond comparison. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. For 10% off your order, visit MontanaBrandTools.com and use the coupon code AmericanCraftsman. All right, you ready? I'm ready, I guess. You guys ready? (laughs) (laughs) Ready for season two, episode one of the American Craftsman podcast? Yeah, we got a whole new thing going. Yeah, completely new. So, uh, I hope it goes well. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows what will go wrong because something is inevitably going to go wrong. Yeah, so so we're going to go through uh, American Furniture's furniture design. Yeah, so for the next year, uh, we're going to be talking about the 12 periods of American furniture. Yeah. Uh, starting today with the early American period and then going all the way to, you know, um, contemporary design. So what what's going on right now? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this one's going to sound a little bit like uh, sixth grade uh, social studies class. Yeah. We're going to kind of lay the foundation, the the who's and the where's mm-hmm. and all that stuff because, you know, that's always important to know where we came from. And yeah. I mean, we learned a lot um, just doing the research for this first first um, set of episodes. So, I mean, you see, <laughs> this is just one of four uh, packets that we have for today. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you might notice the, the look of the podcast is a little bit different. We're messing around with with cameras and camera settings and and putting a little uh, thing in the background, trying to make it look a little bit nicer. Uh, we're going to definitely be incorporating more visual aids into the podcast because, um, I mean, it's furniture. It's visual. You need to see, yeah, see yeah. what we're talking about. So urge you to check out the podcast on YouTube. Um, urge you to join the Patreon because we're going to be giving the patrons all of this information with all of the source material. Um, so you'll be able to go back and use these, you know, in your own education and, and be able to, yeah. you know, see where we got the information and do some research, do your own research. That's a, that's a 2021. <laughs> I mean, we spent many hours digging this oh, yeah. stuff up. It was, uh, uh, pretty exhausting. So yeah. Um, com- computer work is harder than uh, woodwork. Yeah, um, and especially, you know, we're going back to the, this is, we're talking 1600s, 1700s, 1600s. Um, So, like, you have to really sift through a lot of stuff to get the good information. Yeah. um, Not like, like, uh, you know, today the the information is infinite. Right. You know, you have to cross-check everything, make sure you're getting the same story in a couple of places and use reputable uh, sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may, uh, as you listen, you may notice, so like today we're sitting down, we're going to film all four episodes for this, yeah. um, early American period. So that's sort of the new format. If, if, if we talk and it seems disjointed, like you're like, oh yeah, this week you guys, like if you, when you listen to episode four, that's going to be a month from now. So, 
Uh, just to fill you in, so you um, going to shoot Jeopardy style. You know, they do the whole week in one day. Oh, or do something they really? Like that. They, I know they do multiple hmm. shows. They might like film like in two days yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, huh? That makes sense because yeah, returning for the tenth week is yeah. Ken Jennings, like this guy, what did he take off of work for two months? <laughs> you know, the guy on there now is closing in on a million bucks. Well. He's won, uh, I just saw last night, like 24, 26 shows, something like that. Wow. They need to start bumping those numbers up. That's like yeah. that's like chump change for a, a game show these days, a million yeah. bucks. It, it gets a little boring, though, when it's the same guy always winning. Yeah. Nerd. Yeah. Somebody needs to throw him a beating. <laughs> well, let's not waste any time. We're going to get into... Uh, into this, so uh, we sort of split these up. So Rob is going to be the the uh, leader of the pack on this one. Yeah, and we'll we'll sort of switch on and off. So uh, as Jeff said, we're going early American today. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the 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 beginning of American furniture. Uh, and uh, when did this happen? We're looking at 1640 to about 1700 when. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts to grow into the the next um, uh, phase, which I think was colonial. Yeah, but, and you know, 1640 is really just the beginning of the colonization of yeah, yeah. the United States. So it makes sense. That. So uh, this is uh, you know, those of us who are listening from here in the states, mm-hmm. we know or should know well. most of these things. But we do have listeners in Australia oh, and yeah. in Europe and stuff Slovenia. like that. That's right. We're big in Slovenia. Yeah. Um, so what's going on in the 1600s, the mid 1600s, is there's a migration to the what becomes the colonies mm-hmm. on the east coast of America, and we're talking about the states that would become Virginia, Maryland, uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut. New Hampshire, New Jersey, where we are right here, New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware, North and South Carolina, and Georgia. You just confused the hell out of me because you went out of order to what you have written down here. Yeah, I I substituted Maryland and uh, Massachusetts to begin with, and Uh, then I just started freewheeling it. I would have got so lost (laughs) if if I was trying to do that. (laughs) we, We should preface this by saying... Uh, in in between being a chef and a woodworker, mm-hmm. I was a history teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so some of this was kind of old hat to me, even though I taught high school. Mm-hmm. Um, we did go over this stuff. Uh, American history was split into two terms in right. high school, as we all remember. So we're basically looking at the Atlantic coast, mm-hmm. and all the action is happening in the North Atlantic coast. Yep, as far as furniture um even though you know you have jamestown and and important colonies that are happening like in virginia maryland and the carolinas roanoke yeah yeah roanoke they're importing still they're bringing a lot of their stuff over from england primarily i think Uh, it was pretty like the it was pretty sparsely populated down there yeah oh yeah even in you know the northeast and new, the New England area was the hot spot. Even that was sparsely populated. Right, right. You have Boston and Philadelphia. I think are the the two main cities mm-hmm. that start to to populate. Um, and 
that's where most of the the furniture creating started to develop. Right. Um, my notes tell me here that uh, the craft is really growing in and around Boston, Salem, and Charleston. These hmm. three cities in in the you know Boston area, Massachusetts. Um, we got twenty joiners, thirty turners in the mid sixteen hundreds. Wow. So you're you are talking just a handful of people. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into the difference between a joiner and a turner. And then as you're closing in on the end of the century, um, we're looking at about sixty furniture makers. Wow. The handicrafts guild. Yeah. So that was like uh, I guess. You know, a modern or a, a the modern version of that would be like the Woodworkers Guild or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, you know, they had a system back then for passing the craft on, mm-hmm. which um, <laughs> it'd be great if we had something like that today. Yeah, um, and and that's something we'll probably do as we're as we're going through this and we're finding our ways. We're going to compare and contrast. Oh yeah, what we're doing today to and. You know how this this period has definitely affected us. You know mm-hmm. we can draw a straight line through it. So we're setting up when and where, and so now why, why, why furniture? And you know we kind of take it for granted nowadays, don't we? Yeah. Well, maybe we don't. Well, <laughs> even we do, but like know, in our home and stuff, the layperson really takes advantage. You know, takes it for granted. Um, right. Like think about when you you move, you move your first time out of the house. You take a couple of hand-me-downs with you, right? You your mm-hmm. your parents give you a dresser, you take your old bed with you. Yep. Old kitchen table that was in, you know, in the garage. Right. It's all beat up. <laughs> so that's kind of what's going on as people are getting on a boat and and coming over mm-hmm. to the colonies. Um and they're they're taking a few things with them. We'll get into that. And but but why did they start building furniture? Uh, mostly out of necessity here in the Americas. Right. Um, people didn't come with much. Um. Yeah. Really, like if you're going to get on a boat and start out in a new place, new world, chances are. Things aren't, uh, you're not some of the upper crust. Yeah, typically that's not the case. Yeah. Especially these first people who came. Right, right. You'll see in the future, you know, um, getting probably closer to the 1700s when people with with money and power start to, they see yeah. opportunity in the new world to, to, you know, leverage that money and power even more. Right, once the grunt work has been done in the colony. Yeah, you know, the the uh the noble person isn't coming here when in a, when it hasn't been settled. Yeah. Um so uh as I was getting back into my role of uh history teacher, I I wrote down why did furniture develop an independent form in the Americas? Mm-hmm. Um and uh market demands was one of the one of the things, and we don't really think about it that way. But it's kind of like today. Like, how many times do we get a request for a quote, and it looks just like the last request yeah. for a quote? 
All the time. <laughs> Basically all of them. So, you know, it, it it's market demands. Yep. Uh, even uh, as people are just set, setting out on a new life, there's still market demands. They're just a little bit different. Nowadays, it's, you know, it's mostly what's the hot trend and how much money do people have to spend. Right. Um, and so there's market demands like that in the colonies. People need certain things. There's only a few people that can make them. Mm-hmm. We'll make, uh, we need stools. We'll make those ourselves. Right. We need something to sit on. We need a table. Uh, well, we might be able to hire somebody out to do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts to develop an independent form in the Americas because also there's distance from Europe. You know, mm-hmm. initially everything's influenced by where they came from. Right. Um, but, you know, with the scarcity of skilled labor, even the tools to make these things, um, the designs, the European designs kind of get pared down, simplified a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, I mean, you think you have... Even at the height, 60 furniture makers, let's, and let's say you have uh, 90 wood turners if you're, you're scaling that up from right. 20 and 30 equally. That's for the entire colonial <laughs> United States. You know, that's 13 <laughs> colonies with, I mean, there's got to be a couple thousand people in, per colony yeah, at this point. Yeah. Um, so, you know, talking under 200, 200 people to create all the furniture for these thousands of people. Right, right. A lot of the stuff was was done by farmers mm-hmm. and it's the vernacular furniture. Yeah, yeah. Which uh you could see here Anarchist Design Book, a great great book about vernacular furniture. Um he doesn't touch really on the the early American period, more the European kind of stuff, but um it all ties into this. So um we're looking at why stuff developed in America's differently and as, you know, life gains permanence, people get a little bit more prosperous, they want nicer things, mm-hmm. and it's not much different from today, you know, trends begin. People with certain skill sets um, start churning out furniture, mm-hmm. becomes popular, and we'll get into all those guys uh, you know, I had no idea they went back that far. Yeah. Um, and uh, people wanted to show off. <laughs> yeah. It's just like today. I mean, when you first get here and you have to you have to build something to live in and you're fighting off, you know, wild animals and, and you know, being uh, attacked by the natives who are like, what the yeah. hell are you doing here? You're yeah. not worried about making like a, a really nice piece of furniture. You right, just, right. Um. So I, I found out that a lot of the early guys migrated, all the, the early like furniture makers migrated over from shipbuilding. Mm-hmm. You know, they all came over. That was that was the trade. Um, but the economy of being a shipbuilder wasn't really um, working out. You know, the you, ships had to be moving back and forth. Yeah, you, you, they needed less. Shipbuilders. It was more yeah. of a one-way trip here, right? And then the ship went back to get more people. They needed home builders, yeah. So these guys started building homes. They used their joinery skills into putting homes together, and you know you can follow the next step. Mm-hmm. 
into them, you know, opening up a shop and uh, becoming a, a furniture maker. So this one's really, this one really reminded me of like grade school. So who's coming over here? We're going to probably mention the Great Migration a couple of times. Uh, 1600s, the Puritans, the Pilgrims, they're slightly different groups. They they both had problems with the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. so they're they're Protestants, and uh, about twenty one thousand Pilgrims and Puritans come over to the colonies, and uh, you're one of them. Yeah, sixteen million descendants mm-hmm. from that small group. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so right off the bat, you got to look at how they're going to influence how this furniture design develops. It's like everything else. Um, And the Puritans were super religious. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing was they were probably the most literate group in, in maybe the whole world at the time, you know, as a community, as a consolidated community, reading and writing the, uh, reading and interpreting the Bible was so important to them. And because they had problems with the church, right. they wanted to be able to do it independently. Yeah, which is like the complete opposite of the way most most yeah. sects of religion work because they wanted just the, you know, the um, upper crust of the hierarchy of the church to be able to disseminate the information yeah. in the Bible to the people, uh, you know, as... Um, a form of control, basically. Exactly. You know, exactly. Say, no, 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 no. Well, we're going to tell you what, <laughs> we'll what this says. We'll explain it to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like having a kid. It's very paternalistic. Right. Yeah. Um, here's something I didn't know. The, they started Harvard. Wow. And uh, apparently only six years after that first community started. Wow. So um, that's one of the legacies. Uh, and uh, this is some of the things that... You know, being a Puritan, that was kind of like a, a an epithet. That's That was like a derogatory name that their detractors gave them. Well. Uh, I didn't know that either. Me neither. Um, and they really weren't. So uh, it, it's I my notes here say they were not dour killjoys. <laughs> <laughs> now, so let's dumb that down for the people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes, Mr. Educator. <laughs> um, yeah, they were really religious. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, the Bible kind of was the the big factor in their lives and in a community. But they didn't all wear black. Um, they loved color. They loved decorative objects, and they they were they weren't afraid of showing off. A little bit of you know their let's say newfound wealth right. or how they were doing. So they were good customers, really. They were educated. Mm-hmm. They they liked nice things, and um, you know they were prosperous because here's something we probably all heard the the Puritan work ethic, right? Self reliance, political localism. Those are all. Um, things that they left us. So they're, they're good customers for furniture to be built. Yeah. We got to find, uh, we got to find some some Puritans. Puritans. (laughs) 
and it, you know, so it was the Puritan. It was all Puritans here, basically, yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. Um, they really weren't in the trades. Mm-hmm. Um, although you know, you can't you can't make a blanket statement like that. But for right. the most part, um, so they were consumers of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and but they were the bulk of the customers because the rest of the guys that come over are mostly like. Um, they're, they're not families like the, the Puritans. Now you have a family group, you have a community, you're going to need all the furnishings for a home. If you're a guy that's coming over because he thinks, you know, the streets are paved with gold, um, you're, you're not so inclined to, you know, settle in, right. Buy furniture and permanence is part of what builds, um, the need for furniture, which, Drives design and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, who made the furniture in the colonies? We went over this just briefly. The shipbuilders turned to home builders, turned to furniture builders, and then, of course, there's the guys that come over who are the super skilled craftsmen. I mean, yep. when we started doing this research, we were kind of thinking, well, everything's going to be really rudimentary. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have, like, turn stools with pegs driven in and, yep. like, you know, really roughshod kind of things. And then as we were looking through the museum uh, pieces, yeah, there's really, really gorgeous, exquisite yeah. work that was made at this time period, mid-1600s, mm-hmm. um, that we probably would have a hard time replicating today. Oh, I mean, yeah, only the yeah. only the most skilled yeah. people could do it. Yep. Um, so back then, if you were uh, considered a skilled craftsman, you could build your house and you could furnish it. <laughs> you can't get people to change the light bulb these days. You had to be good at math. Yep. You had to know your history of design, Mm -hmm. which, you know, back then it was a lot of classical stuff, you know, the the Greeks and and all. And we lean on that today. Right. I mean, the golden ratio and all that stuff. Time tested. Yeah. You had to know about wood tree from the tree. Mm -hmm. I mean, you went out and cut a tree down. Yeah. And then you had to dry it. Mm hmm. You had to split it. You know, you had to do all these things. We think we're, um, you know, starting from the beginning because we get our <laughs> yeah, rough, rough song. We have to pl- join and plane it. <laughs> yeah, if there were, you know, 60, 60 furniture makers, how many Sawyers were there? Right. Two, five, right. ten? Yeah. All this stuff is interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um so you had to know about math. You had to know about angles, proportion, um, you know, trees, understanding wood and its qualities, its movements, its, um, finishes. And you had to be able to run a business. Yeah. As we know, that's not simple. And the, the basic elements are still the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to be the chief cook and bottle washer. Yeah. Uh, and so imagine being a guy in, uh, you know, colonial America doing our job, but having to do 
so many more steps in the process, worried about putting food on the table in a completely different sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, you had to do everything back then. Yeah. You yeah. know, he, he had to go out and hunt for your food. And, right. And, you know, there was no supermarket in 1650. No, no. And he had to go into the forest. Mm-hmm. Choose a tree based on its, you know, its growing patterns, mm-hmm. its age, its size, fell it, all with the idea that in a few years' time, this tree will be ready yeah. to make something from it. I mean, talk about the planning. Yeah, and I guess there must have been, you know, some greenwood woodworking oh, yeah. in the beginning because there was right. no time to wait. No. You know. That's where all the turning comes from. Yeah. Um, so all the skilled guys, they were direct immigrants from Europe, Mm -hmm. mostly Britain. Yep. Um, and they came over and they did their best to bring their trade with them. Um, if they were fortunate enough to be able to bring all their tools, Mm -hmm. um, but chances are, it's like, you know, the guy who leaves, is probably not the best guy in town, you know. <laughs> if you have this well-established business, yeah, you know, are you going to leave it to get on a boat to go to this completely, you know, unknown, this crapshoot of a place they're calling uh, America? Yeah, I mean, unless you're a Puritan, probably not. Right. You know, right. because they're facing persecution. Right. So there's there's a handful of guys that come over that know what they're doing. And they're making all those pieces that we see in the museums today. Because yep. there, there are a few. There's still oh, there's yeah. still a few pieces around. Yeah, the Met seems to have quite a, quite mm-hmm. a bit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and on the other end of the spectrum, you got the local guys, the farmers, the settlers themselves. They're making all those rudimentary pieces that we kind of thought of. Yeah, there's still guys like that. <laughs> That's our competition. <laughs> you, you know, drawing some parallels here to the present. Yeah, day. we could we could take a minute to kind of, you know, instead of just going on, we could take a few, a few minutes to talk about how a lot of these things are still, um, you know, contemporary uh, issues or um, scenarios. Yeah. Um, you have a limited number of skilled people working to build things for a limited audience. Mm-hmm. Most people are kind of doing the handyman, you know, Home Depot, get it cheap kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so not much has changed, has it? No. <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um... So we're building a, a background of like who and where and what. We haven't really touched onto any of the design elements yet, but we'll get there. Um, back then, you had two kinds of uh, woodworkers, mm-hmm. I'll call them, furniture makers. You had your joiners and you had your turners. Um, joiners, and, you know, we're Green Street joinery. Yep. A lot of people don't get that sort of uh, nomenclature. Mm-hmm. The, the joiners were the people who 
you know, took a couple of straight pieces of wood. Well, they, they had to make them straight first. Yeah. <laughs> and create joinery, like such as a mortise and tenon, things like that, and and join them together. That, that took more skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, the turners, uh, that, and I guess this is where the greenwood furniture comes in. You know, they were they were turning furniture. A lot of stools were made that way. Mm-hmm. You know, three or four round legs, drill a couple of holes in a, a blank of wood, and then pin it at the top with like a wedge. Hmm. Um, so they were churning those things out. It took less skill, and uh, I guess there was more material available for those guys. Yeah. Um, it was a lot faster to produce something like that. And as we know, time is money. Yeah. So those things were, were bought up too. It took less skill to make it and you could sell it for a lot less money. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to get into some, some folks of note, but, uh, there were a couple of guys that, that popped up as some of the earliest, earliest cabinet makers of note that came over from England. Um, there was William Searle and Thomas Dennis. Now, these guys came over in the 1660s, and they came from Devonshire, England. Mm. So they brought the—that's a great word that you used, the vernacular style of Devon to Massachusetts. Mm. And that was a big factor in the uh, initial starting point, in the starting point of, like, this— uh, early American design right. um, because it influenced everybody. Um, Searle, I find out, he he dies right away. <laughs> he make it long. He's here. And Dennis marries his widow. That bastard. <laughs> so there's, and uh, Dennis was not really uh, um, an apprentice or anything like that of Searle's. He was a contemporary peer. Right. And in fact, uh, as research goes on and on, it's hard to decipher whose work was whose. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dennis was an expert carver and joiner, and his stuff is is starting to get a little bit of uh, its own uh, renown. I'll call it. That right. might be too big of a word, but he's he separated himself from Searle a mm-hmm. bit. Um, and the other guy I'll mention who came out even earlier in 1636. Uh, he opened a shop. This guy was John Simons, and he had two sons, and the two sons had three apprentices. Well, that's, that's very early, too. Right. You know, Mayflower's, what, 1620? Right, right, exactly. So that's why I wanted to bring this guy up, because this is how you see the, the trade starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how it happened. Um, I got a little bit of information here on The Apprentice. Not the uh, TV show. <laughs> and we know a little bit about this because we've tried in vain to, to bring people in. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to hear any listener who's had uh, some experience with this. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that, uh, um, what's his real name out in Australia who served as, is serving as an apprentice? Um, Jack Thornton? Yeah, Jack Thornton. Um, Beaver Badger, is that Beaver Badger? No, that's Colin. He's Jack Thornton ninety eight. <laughs> Jack Thornton ninety eight. Yeah. Um. So 
these apprentices would start at about the age of 14, if you could imagine that. That's a full-grown man in the 1600s. <laughs> you got about 14 years left before you die. <laughs> they started you they started you at 14 because they figured you were done at 21. Hmm. Um, they wanted you for seven years. And um, uh, it says here that they, they usually didn't make it the full seven. Um, uh, maybe it was the shorter lifespan. Maybe it was the need for more people to, you know, fill these roles. Yep. Once you had four or five years under your belt, you felt like you could move to another town, take your skill set with you, salute, and, and get going. Um, so it, <laughs> get this. It wasn't uncommon for a master to charge parents or an apprentice a fee. Boy, wouldn't wouldn't we love that? Yeah, it would make it a possibility. Yeah, because, I mean, we've run into this just trying to hire help. Um, it costs us money to have somebody help in the shop. Yeah. And margins are so tight, as anybody who's running a small business like ours knows. Yeah. We can't afford to train somebody. And... You really can't afford to pay a skilled person either. That's why you're kind of like owner operator. Yeah. Because we put in the hours that <laughs> we couldn't afford to pay somebody for. No. We couldn't get somebody to work for what we pay ourselves. <laughs> we don't want. We won't go hourly rate. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, you factor in all the tax, you know, taxes and stuff like that, insurance liability. It's yeah. The, it goes through the roof. The price. Uh, I found that if you were an orphan, you know, a lot of times if you were lucky enough, you'd wind up in an apprenticeship program, but you had to pay. So that, that probably got worked out after you finished, yeah. you know, because you had nothing. You came in with nothing. Like indentured servitude. Kind yeah. Of. So um, if we had an apprentice, we would be providing them with room and board. So maybe. A little cot in the shop. Yeah, we could do that. If you're interested. And um, an email. and then it's kind of like getting out of prison here because at the end, you got a little bit of money oh. and your tools. <laughs> like, yeah, like in the movies when the guys get out of prison, yeah. they get the new suit and everything. That's all. You work for seven years. Here you go, Joe. And you know, it. Um, and uh, occasionally they, they got a little stipend their last few years as they were getting... Uh, more skilled. Hmm. And the apprenticeship was a legal contract. Yeah. Um, the apprentice agreed to keep our secrets, huh. our trade secrets. And if the apprentice wanted to go out or do anything like that, they had to ask us. Um, they had a promise to, you know, stay out of trouble, <laughs> no carousing, oh my stay out of. In, in those days, it was the tavern. You right. know, stay out of the tavern. Don't get in into any trouble. And uh, you agree to work without pay for the term of the contract. Wow. Um, and on the other side, it listed what we would be giving to the apprentice. Mm -hmm. um, we would provide a basic education as well as, you know, teaching them woodworking skills, how to read, write, do math. Because as we know... Without being able to do all those things as well, we really can't run a business. Right. And that's what the apprentice is really going to do. Once he leaves the master, 
he's going to put his own shingle out. Mm -hmm. So he's got to know how to read. He's got to know how to write. He's got to be able to present to a client. Mm -hmm. He's got to be able to do math, keep books, let alone how to, you know, use math for uh, building furniture. Uh And if you were good, you got a set of clothes. <laughs> We'd be handing out a Calavera apron, wouldn't we? Ooh, well, it depends on how good you are. Yeah, well, after seven years. Well, you better, yeah. If you last that long. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I had uh, Christopher working for me for about seven years, but it wasn't full time. You know, he'd come in after school and sweep up and mm-hmm. things like that. But I can see the progression because at first he was just cleaning. Right. And then. Gradually, I'd leave piles of stuff for him to sand, and I'd have to, you know, instruct them, you know, initially. And then it got to be a great thing where, like, let's say you had a bunch of shelves or drawer boxes, you need the edges broken. You just leave a note and go break the edges on all this stuff, and you come in in the morning, and like magic, it's done. Yeah, shop elves. Yeah, <laughs> the shop was clean. Um, it was a great time. Uh, and I, I just listed a couple of, you know, basic tools. We're going to get more into this in like the the third episode. Uh, but it was curious, uh, you know, some of the the tools that the, the cabinet maker had um, they, for measuring. Basically, they use story poles, story sticks for everything. Wow. And they would save them up on the walls and things like that because mm-hmm. let's say, you know, I had a cabinet built and it needed repair or something like that. That's where all their notes were kept. Yeah, and the things were kind of standardized. Mm-hmm. I have a book back there about door making, and that's how, you know, everything is laid out off of story poles. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I'm gonna saws. I'm gonna put a flame under your ass because we're uh we're only two pages in and we're we're <laughs> we're forty we're around forty oh, minutes. Oh my god! Yeah, you got about four pages okay. left. All right, let's speed it up. Let's pick up the tempo. So, um, I I I wanted to me- uh, mention those things just to briefly, you know, compare and contrast today. You know, everything was done by hand. Mm-hmm. Um. The smoothing planes, the shaping planes, the turning with lathes, that's pretty much the same. Yep. Uh, hide glues mm-hmm. uh, and and everything. Imagine drilling holes by hand. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot less. Granted, they're doing a lot less. You know, we're drilling and putting in screws all over the place, and they were relying on hand-cut joinery more. But, yeah, right, like doing, especially right. the, the guys who did turning, all those staked pieces of furniture you gotta drill all those holes yeah so um well so we got you know when where why who um the guys had you know although there were some skilled cabinet makers mostly a bunch of rookies right you know and um things were in short supply in the colonies Mm -hmm. and so as Better tools emerge, better um, availability of tools, furniture got better. So let's get into the design of uh, uh, early tools. Uh, Not, sorry, early furniture. Mm -hmm. Um, The chest was really the most 
popular and important piece of furniture. Yeah, it was a lot of what people brought over too. Right, was just right. a chest. Um, and is you know its simplest form is a box. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, you can just like today we can take that box and we can make it um, as ornate as we you know are capable of or or paid to do. The chest turns into, you know, the high boy, the low boy, Mm -hmm. and what we would call a chest of drawers now. Um, And the other piece of furniture that I found was pretty important in the development of design uh, and furniture making business was the cane chair. Um, Now, uh, it it was done, it was important for a different reason. Now, the cane chair... These guys figured out, hey, if we pool our talents, Mm -hmm. if the turner turns the front legs and the joiner uh, creates the joinery on the back legs and the seat and the caner, the guy who does the weaving of the seat, he does his thing. The finisher will finish it. Mm -hmm. We can make these chairs and not only sell them locally, we can sell them to all the other people in the colonies. Right. So, uh, More this production cre- style, right? That's, that's why the cane chair was considered an important development, mm-hmm. not because it was so stylistically important, but, uh, because of the mindset it created. Um, so let's get into the two major types of furniture design. This is what everybody's been waiting for. <laughs> Shut up, Rob. What was the design? It was all based on. And I'm going to let you say it so I don't mess it up. Jacobian? Jacobian. That's right. That's James the first. Jacobian is mm. Latin for King James the first. He ruled from 1603 to 1625. And the Carolean, which was for Charles II, 1660 to 1685 was his reign. And in the middle, you had Oliver Cromwell, who was a Puritan. Yep. Um, so what's Jacobian design? Uh, really blocky, rectilinear, heavy proportions, and... Somebody's calling you. Yeah. Oh, it's Chapel Hill Dentistry. <laughs> Rob goes to the dentist more times in a year than yeah. I think most people go in a decade. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, I had to cancel my cleaning appointment. They're not taking my insurance. Ugh. I had to find a new dentist. Now yeah. they want to know why. <laughs> can't we just can't you just come in? We'll charge you full price. No big yeah. deal. <laughs> so, um, Jacobian, 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 Jacobian design. So it's heavy. It's it if it's um, decorated, it's got a lot of scroll work, mm-hmm. carvings, and um, if you saw a picture of it, you'd recognize it immediately. Maybe not by name, right? But you'd see it. It'd be. It looked like an old church chair or a mm. chair that a king would sit in. Yeah, like yeah. really um, heavy in that sense. Um, and the Carolean design is sort of more flamboyant. What happens is um, James is, uh, uh, I don't know how, you would, how his, his reign ended, but Alva Cromwell, a Puritan, took over, and he was, like, trying to simplify everything. Mm-hmm. And design followed suit because um, this is the way things happen. 
um, socioeconomic conditions can dictate these things. Uh, so Charles II comes back into power, and there he was in exile in France. Mm-hmm. So he's influenced by the more florid designs and things like that. So all this stuff is trickling down to the American colonies. Um, people, if they brought something with them, chances are it was Jacobean. Yep. Jacobian. Jacobian. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get it by episode four. <laughs> <laughs> and as... Um, the colonies are starting to prosper. Mm-hmm. People are, are staying put. They're in need of furniture, in want of furniture. Right. Now this new design uh, from Europe, and let's face it, that's where, you know, if you were considered stylish, you were looking to Europe for your design cues. Yeah, and that's where everybody was from. Was, right, you know, right. Not like today where you could be from England and you know about what, what the hot trend is in right. China? Well, they didn't. It wasn't. You know, the the information didn't flow as fluidly back no, then. No, no. Um, and so then these designs are sort of Americanized. Mm-hmm. Um, they become a little bit lighter mm-hmm. um, you know, for portability's sake. Right. Uh, a little bit simpler in design. Um, that could be due to the fact that. There are less skilled people making them, you know, so they're doing their best at mimicking. It's like if we were going to make a green and green piece, Mm -hmm. we would do our damnedest. Right. (laughs) But we would look at it at the end and go, we're not green. No, yeah, we're not the whole brothers. (laughs) Yeah. We'd try, but, you know, we would would probably go, you know, they're not paying us to do this Mm -hmm. amount of detail. So some of that... um, was necessitated by cost, greater flexibility in design. People needed uh, to be able to use something for more than one thing at times in the colonies. Yep. And this became known as pilgrim design. Hmm. So you got your your basis in Jacobian Jacobian design, Cromwell's puritanical influences there in the middle. The Carolean design comes in mm-hmm. towards the end of this uh, early American period, and it's all mashed together and becomes Pilgrim design. Wow. Um, so uh, I, I'll summarize and say that the early American furniture design was influenced by circumstances, environment, necessity, ties to the old world, and finally a growing prosperity. Um, you could see how those things are really evident in, in what we do today. Yeah. Um, people's circumstances, um, the environment and then their necessity ties to, instead of the old world, you could put ties to Instagram, Pinterest, mm-hmm. this, you know, what's happening out there in, uh, you know, the world. Yeah, I mean, those are really the foundations of good design. Right, right. And growing prosperity. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I hope we were able to uh, lay the fa- the groundwork uh, and 
not uh, not become too tedious. No, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that? I mean, what what was uh, what are your impressions? Um, I mean, I'm really still digesting all the information from from our own research. I know it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, we're just scratching the surface. Um, and we could see the pace has to be picked up. Well, no, I mean we're we're sitting in about right where we want to be. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, the the biggest surprise to me is, you know, how quickly they went from the sort of uh, necessity type vernacular furniture to more uh, ornate things. Like you're talking about a decade or two, and things are really picking yeah. up to be, you know, more um, designed more for appearance. That's uh, a great point because it it happened fast, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean, talking by 18, 18, 1660, <laughs> you know, things are really shifting towards a more ornate piece mm -hmm. of furniture. People want stuff to look good. They want to show off a mm -hmm. little bit. They want, hey, man, look what I got over here. Yeah, and, you know, 1620 is the uh, the Mayflower, but you really don't see a, a large migration starting until, like, the late 1630s mm -hmm. and 1640s, so... Right, I think the were the Pilgrims first, and then the Puritans followed. I think so. The Pilgrims were Puritans. Yeah, the one group wanted to separate from the church. Yeah, well, we'll get into that in the next oh. episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about the Great Puritan Migration. <laughs> yeah, original. The first. Stay were, tuned. The right? first were the separatists. The separatists were yeah, first. Yeah, they were the non-separatists wanted to not separate, but yeah. then. As we'll find out, they really didn't have a choice. <laughs> no, no. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, my impressions were that there's so much that is the same. Mm -hmm. The more things change, the more they stay the same, as yeah. the saying goes, right? Talking 350 years ago. Right. Like, the things that drive our business... Uh, and we're a design-driven business. Mm -hmm. Whether we're working for a designer or we're designing ourselves, that's really uh, uh, our niche. If people want something off the shelf, they go get it off the shelf. Right, they can find that uh, cheaply, mm -hmm. inexpensively. They come to us because they need something different. They want something different. Mm -hmm. uh, they want something uh, nicer, right? Possibly more ornate. Um. It's all the same things that drove the the early furniture makers business and their design. Yeah. I mean, we're building on what came before, just like they had uh, their early influences. Yeah, and this goes, you know, this didn't start with early America. I mean, no. this goes back from the beginning. We're right. talking a millennia ago. We just had to pick a starting point. Well, yeah, and it's yeah. the American Craftsman podcast, so we're right. doing American, you know. Maybe we'll get into Europeans uh, yeah. next season. You know, you know what else surprised me? That early Americans the first, and colonial is the second. Yeah, yeah, because you know, they weren't they weren't really colonies uh, right at the beginning. I guess right. You know, I I would have thought more, the names would be switched around. It wasn't until like England started getting reinvolved with these people that yeah. you know. I guess they became more, more quote-unquote colonies. Yeah, and you know what else is curious? New England is still kind of the the center, like yeah. the North Bennett School. All, mm -hmm. If you want to learn classical furniture building, that's where you go, yeah. up to that area. Yeah. 
It's the uh, the birthplace of America. Um, so all these things, it seems like it's a long, long time ago, but all this stuff is, you could see the thread. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, you know, it, it, it was a great learning experience. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure we'll see the, maybe the format and, and the episode structure maybe evolve a little bit as we go. Yeah, um, we're, we're trying to find our feet here. Yeah, you know, as usual, we just fly by the seat of our pants. So. <laughs> uh, next episode, we're going to get into uh, a person of interest. In yeah, I've been American. looking forward to this. Sorry yeah, to interrupt you. It's but, a good one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we hope you liked the uh, the new format, the new sort of subject matter. And uh, like I said, check out the podcast on YouTube. Um, check out the Patreon. Leave yeah. us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you feel so inclined. Yeah, it's going to be important that to get some feedback mm-hmm. as we're trying to shift and, uh, you know, our presentation methods and yep. all these other things because we're fluid. Oh, yeah. Um, let us know what you think. Yeah. Well, we hope you enjoyed. We'll see you next week for Season 2, Episode 2 of the American Craftsman Podcast. Take care.